Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. Wherever you are, whoever you are, crypto skeptic, half believer, or enthusiast, it's really great to have you tuning in to Crypto Unstacked, where we bring you a cup of crypto every week and unstack everything from crypto finance to global macroeconomics. This podcast assumes basic knowledge of crypto and aims to explore some more advanced topics about the crypto markets, such as trading strategies, lending, and derivatives. The Crypto Unstacked podcast is meant for informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial or investment advice. Nothing expressed in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Amber Group to buy or sell any financial products. Information expressed by the host or guest in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Amber Group. It's not every day that you can credit the Mexican IRS for furthering Bitcoin's decentralization, but working with the Mexican Bureau did lead Alex Legal to founding Layer 1 Technologies, the teal-backed Bitcoin mining company based in the U.S. In this episode, Alex unstacks a range of topics, including what it means to convert energy into money, how Layer 1 plans to achieve supply chain independence, and why it's important to approach mining from first principles. Here, Alex's take on Layer 1's grand vision and what they're doing to push the boundaries of a typical crypto mining company. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this week's episode with your legal counsel. Hey, Alex. Welcome to Crypto Unstacked. It's really great to have you join me on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me, Leslie. I'm really excited for our conversation today and to share with our audience more about Layer 1 Technologies. But first, I always like to start off our conversation with a guest introduction. So could you tell us about yourself and how you ended up in the throes of the crypto mining industry? Sure, I'd be happy to. I was born and raised in Munich, Germany, and then I went to the U.S. to Stanford for college, where I uh, did a double major in applied mathematics and philosophy. And already in my sophomore year, I, I founded a quant fund that was institutionally funded as well basically trading a bunch of volatility products, which was interesting. After that, I worked at Stanford Management Company on their special investments desk, which actually kind of brought me full circle with Bitcoin because from a few friends in Stanford, I was introduced to Bitcoins around late 2012. Also had a small mining play, effectively an electricity arbitrage since electricity is free if you use it on campus. And obviously, it's a tiny amount in comparison to what Layer 1 aspires to do right now. The interesting thing with Stanford Management Company was that I focused especially on semiconductor investments, and it brought me full circle to Bitcoin because I got to better understand the full picture behind chip development, ASIC development, put into context what's going on in the general semiconductor industry, specifically with what's happening in Bitcoin ASIC development cycles and so forth. After SMC, I started a company called Apex Labs, which ironically enough is the diametric opposite of what Bitcoin stands for and actually is sort of the reason that I became fascinated with Bitcoin. Apex Labs, I was also the CEO of and one of the co-founders. 
um, was an AI-powered fraud detection platform for the Mexican IRS. So basically quite the opposite from, from sort of what Bitcoin stands for. But it was fascinating because we were the first company ever to get access to the tens of billions of financial documents, you know, all the information on 70 million taxpayers. Effectively, it was a big data unification problem across all these different databases. And then after that, you want to identify, okay, what are the companies that are probably committing tax fraud in the Mexican economy? And just became extremely frustrated with the way politics internally and externally worked, how the lack of privacy and the lack of security for individual taxpayers was just blatantly ignored or even just not even sort of taken into account. And and because of that, effectively, I, I always had the idea that cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin, was something I would want to engage with on also a professional level, not just as an enthusiast. Effectively, it just came down to timing. And then in late 2018, I founded Layer One Capital. The thesis was that you have open source technology, which meets public market liquidity, and that generates an entirely unprecedented opportunity set because you can effectively take a position in an asset and then you can influence the technical, the engineering fundamental value of that asset. It's entirely different from anything else that's available um, in any other asset class. And also raised a seed round for that by the same baggers that we have now, TCG, Teal, and so forth. And the first project for us here was a cryptocurrency called Grin, which is a privacy-focused coin, which I still think is super interesting, specifically because it's very similar to Bitcoin in its genesis, in its general features, and so forth. And uh, so we raised an SPV that also took a position in, in Grin. We funded and supported Grin's engineering development and also had in-house engineers that worked on the protocol. At this point, it's pretty much an autopilot because in mid-2019, we founded uh, Layer 1 Technology, so we kept the name. It can be confusing at times, but I think it's a greater metaphor for what we stand for and what we aspire to achieve. And uh, really understood you know, the much bigger opportunity, the, the opportunity to build not just a good financial outcome, betting on Grin and it going up and putting in the work, but really the vision to build a $100 billion company is, is in Bitcoin mining. And specifically also, also because a lot of people think or thought back in the day, and most still do, is that it's too hard, it's too commoditized, it's already played out, there's not really much room for opportunity and growth. Effectively, that's as good of a motivator as anything, because if everybody sort of has that consensus, well, then something must be pretty wrong if, if you can actually change one of these parameters then you can create a 10x, 100x, 1000x outcome. Basically, it's so asymmetric that the expected value is so high, you just have to try it. I was introduced through a mutual friend to my now partner, Yakov Dolich, who is also a co-founder of Layer One and its president, who previously founded and led a company called Genesis Mining, which is the biggest cryptocurrency cloud mining company in the world. He was extremely successful previously in his previous venture and then eventually left Genesis Mining. And we kind of started iterating on what would it be like to produce a vertically integrated Bitcoin mining company. So we did the math, you know, the typical founding stories, do the math, it checks out and you do the math a little bit more, it still checks out. And eventually you grow big enough of a conviction that this is truly a venture worth starting. Less than one and a half years later, after formulating the thesis in early 2019 and just frankly working extremely fast and building a phenomenal team that's working very hard every single day with great focus and, and drive and energy, you know, I think we have a real shot at building something massive at the end of the day.
our take is that effectively the future is just that it's an energy business. You're converting energy into money or energy into Bitcoin. So effectively, you always want to prioritize having the cheapest electricity at scale and the most efficient cooling infrastructure in order to take advantage of that. You want to have an independent supply chain, which means that you're no longer at the mercy of what the Bitcoin price does. That means that you produce your own ASIC chips, which we are in the process of since obviously the cost of acquisition for these miners from third parties otherwise are always, always correlated with the Bitcoin price. So what we've seen in the previous cycles is that every time Bitcoin goes up, so does the price of the miners. So effectively, your margin is always at the mercy of that, or it's always at risk of being uh, squeezed if you have any exposure to the Bitcoin price. And at the end of the day, our first step is in West Texas, we really have the cheapest electricity at scale. You know, some days we actually pay negative prices, so we get paid to use electricity um, to mine Bitcoin, which is even better, a very interesting proposition. And then the future of that is, on one hand, you have on sort of the Bitcoin mining layer is kind of an energy business at the end of the day. Each of these, you know, we call them Bitcoin batteries, basically these data center containers um, these entire sort of Bitcoin mining campuses that we construct are effectively big batteries. Since we can participate in demand response markets with those, we can immediately curtail our power on and off and thereby act effectively as a smart grid stabilizer for the energy markets that we operate in. And then on top of that, the vision for us really is, okay, you have an energy business, but on top of that, you can build a Bitcoin financial institution. I don't see any reason why we would not be able to build more infrastructure on top of our mining operations, simply just because it comes down to the Bitcoin that you mine are the same Bitcoin that can you use to settle derivatives with, that you can lend, that you can use for any type of financial trading, brokerage services, and so forth. So really, Bitcoin mining is only the first step for layer one. Yeah, great. Thanks for taking us through that arc. It seemed like you were heavily involved trading the markets, participating in the crypto ecosystem as an investor, and now kind of embarking on this new journey, which isn't totally from left field, as some might think, just hearing your story, but not getting all the details. Going now back to that, can we get a visualization about your mining farm in West Texas? Can you help us to visualize what that looks like? Just imagine, you know, the audience is going out to layer one and trying to figure out what is it that you guys do? Could you give us a visualization on what your mining farm looks like? Yeah, sure. I, I can try. <laughs> I mean, as always, I guess a picture stands for a thousand words. So try not to keep it to less than a thousand. We have a large substation that has the capacity for 150 megawatts, you know, which is pretty sizable. We have a lot of property, sort of dozens of acres, actually. We have a big warehouse also for research and development, for cleaning, for office space and so forth. And then, of course, the actual mining infrastructure is these 40 by 20 foot containers. We use just typical shipping containers for the exterior um, since that makes it easier to actually transport internationally. On the outside of these containers are lined multiple cooling towers, piping that feeds into the containers and once you step inside, the entire surface area of the container is giant liquid cooling bath, which is actually patent pending. It's been in development by our CTO for over three and a half years at this point. So this is some overnight development where millions, if not tens of millions of dollars in research and development has gone into um, years of time and energy and, and work spent into making this happen. The complexity is putting it all together in a capital efficient base that can spend a lot of money on different types of cooling, especially immersed liquid cooling. The trick, of course, is to source the right materials, build up the right supply chain, have the right design and the right optimizations in order to really, truly optimize it for 
your capex, and then also your opex. In these cooling vests, encompassing the entire surface area of the interior of the container, we have our miners right, that are placed inside our PCBs. They're fully immersed in the liquid, and uh, this liquid is circulating through the bath, through the pipes, through the cooling towers in a fashion that is optimal for the air temperature. So in Texas right now, it's been over 100 degrees Fahrenheit or over 40 degrees Celsius pretty pretty often lately and our setup is working perfectly no problems whatsoever fortunately we only expect that to persist which means that effectively layer one is the only company in the world that can take advantage of negative electricity pricing can also play as an inverse battery in the energy markets that it operates in which actually decreases its power all-in price by over 50 percent it's a massive moat actually and uh, we can also overclock our chips significantly which means if you're not entirely familiar you know very simple it can run your chips at a higher frequency which you can also do with air-cooled mining but the problem is uh, your chips would burn up they would run too hot and uh, with liquid cooling we can overclock our chips 50 to 100 percent which means that we actually need 33 to 50% less chips in order to saturate the same amount of hash rate or power draw, thereby reduces our capex proportionally. Right. And so the life cycle then of these liquid cooling equipment is probably much longer, right, than the average miner. Yes, exactly. Because you effectively lubricate your chips and your pipes and whatnot all the time. Right. So even after two years of 24 seven use, they're basically like new. So we estimate our, our depreciation cycles to be much longer. And, you know, even if you put it into like the very stark comparison with air cooled mining, air cooled mining, you have the shoebox miners with the whole cable salad. Um, you have to pick them up and shake the dust out. Right. It's crazy. You have humidity that impacts it. You have vibration, everything that just produces wear and tear of your of your hardware. You do not have in a stable liquid cooled environment. Mm -hmm. um, hence your machines and, and the entire structure lasts a lot longer. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to pick up on a phrase that you mentioned earlier in the conversation, which is you're in the business of converting energy into money. Actually, have you seen those YouTube videos where field experts try to explain one concept in five difficulty levels, starting with children to experts? <laughs> no, I've not. Okay. No. <laughs> so anyways, I think that the way that you just described mining, which is converting energy or electricity into money, is actually the perfect way to present it in explain it like I'm five terms. I'm always a fan of simplicity. And so this actually reminds me of Nikola Tesla's alternating current motor invention, right? Like he converted electrical energy into mechanical energy, thereby turning current into motion. And I think we're in this incredibly fascinating time in history where it's possible to effectively turn that same current into money. And so I think Tesla would just be like over the moon by this concept of crypto mining. So could you actually talk to us about the components that go into the process of turning energy into money, right? For all the non-miners who are listening to this podcast, just like how does that process work? Um, well, it's thermodynamic. You have electricity that you feed to your chips. You know, either you can get that electricity by co-locating directly with energy plants, or you can, as we're currently doing, buying it off the grid through our substation. And then effectively, you feed your electricity to your chips, which do monotonous computations, and that actually expends uh, heat, right? So effectively, that's sort of where you have thermodynamic laws of the universe stay, sort of entropy just kind of takes place. And then that heat that gets emitted from your chips doing computations due to the energization through electricity, you know, that feeds into your cooling system. And the cooling system that you devise, of course, determines, you know, the feedback loop of how fast your chips can go and thus how much 
heat they would emit. So of course, the more efficient your cooling system is, the faster your chips can go and the more heat that they will emit, which means that, you know, in, re in turn, you actually need more electricity again. So that's the positive feedback loop. And then you expend a real world physical commodity, which is electricity or energy as sort of, if you want to take it a step before that, right, whatever sort of resource you consume if that's fossil fuels like coal or renewable like wind, solar, and so forth. And then you create a digital commodity, right? You sort of have the first instance of provable digital scarcity manifested by Bitcoin. And then all of a sudden, what you do effectively is you globally export locally sourced electricity because you buy electricity wherever you mine, and then you resell that electricity, but the medium of the transaction being Bitcoin. You know, of course, you don't physically resell electricity, but if the electricity is transformed into into a digital asset. And, uh, you know, that's the story, I think. Obviously, right, there's a lot of nuance. Obviously, it's mainly metaphorical. But at the end of the day, what you do is you expend physical resources into creating a digital currency or a digital type of money. An article about Layer 1 came out earlier this year in February that said Layer 1 has reinvented Bitcoin mining from first principles, strengthening Bitcoin's decentralization and usage of renewable energy. Well, wow, there's a lot packed in there. And so I'd like to unstack uh, each part of that for our audience here. And so let's start with the first part of that title, which is layer one is reinventing Bitcoin mining from first principles. What does that mean? I mean, effectively, we think that everybody else is stuck in 2016, 2017, right? All they do is they go and buy some miners off the websites of third party suppliers. They find a co-location electricity opportunity or some warehouse somewhere, and then they pay some other company in order to maintain the machines. And then they try to squeeze out a margin. And what I usually call that is, is it's a real estate transaction. It's not a venture business. And uh, so effectively, right, you kind of have this unbundling, right? Each industry sort of goes through the cycles of bundling and unbundling. And Bitcoin mining started out as an unbundled uh, industry, right? Sort of each component being isolated in the entire Bitcoin mining stack and then different players trying to squeeze out a margin in each. You know, the, the main sort of profitability actually came to the Bitcoin mining hardware manufacturers, you know, so that's Bitmain or Canon or Wattsminer. But now they're just facing the reality that they kind of hit Moore's law like a brick wall. You know, Moore's law itself is reaching a physical asymptote. Development cycles are now for basic Bitcoin ASIC miners no longer six months or one year in order to just pump out a new generation of chips, but actually, you know, much longer um, with a lot more difficulty in, in creating sort of functioning miners at scale. And we just understood, look, the entire CapEx just commoditized and you can converge this to an amortization payment in terms of your capital structure. So it's, it's, it's very similar to being actually sort of a capital light business, if you put it into that context. And the only differentiator really is your OPEC. Can you source the cheapest electricity at scale, the cooling infrastructure in order to take advantage of it? The, team, the, the scalability, right? Can you deploy multiple megawatts per day in order to mine, minimize your opportunity costs since in Bitcoin mining, Every day you don't mine is, is money lost, right? Very, very simply. Frankly, miners don't think big enough. All they think about is, can I squeeze out a margin? Can I deploy more miners and whatnot? They don't see the opportunity that you can build a huge company, the ExxonMobil of, of Bitcoin or Standard Oil or something. I repeatedly say that I think Bitcoin mining really is where oil industry was in 1890. It's at the, the introduction of an entity, you know, like Standard Oil back then that really stratifies the entire industry and, and disciplines it and whatnot is the forcing function for such. And uh, that's what layer one is going to be, you know, pretty clearly in our minds. And hence, we just think we have truly an orthogonal approach 
to anybody else in the industry. And hence, you know, we like to call that from first principles. You guys are based in North America, contributing to the increasing number of mining operations that we're seeing outside of China. It seems like around 65 to 70% of hash redistribution is, is based within the China borders. So how are you guys strengthening Bitcoin's decentralization? Could you help us to connect the operations of mining to actually securing Bitcoin's network? Well, so at the end of the day, pools matter more than where the hash rate originates, but you have your own pool at size. So, you know, I don't think layer one is truly going to utilize uh, third party pools if we get to more than two, three, five percent of the Bitcoin hash rate. At some point, the distribution of your revenue is smooth enough that it makes sense to do that yourself. Hence, if we decentralize the market share of pools or of hash rate globally, we create a more a stronger system. You know, if you believe in decentralization by transitivity, you have to believe that increased decentralization for Bitcoin mining is a net positive. I think the economics behind mining are, are interesting in the sense that really it doesn't matter where the hash rate sits. The entire system is architected in such a way that every miner is mainly incentivized, if not entirely incentivized, to act in the best interest of the system because that will then also be um, the most profitable situation for the miner, um, you know, which creates an interesting dynamic. So really sort of centralization is different on different levels across the mining stack. However, at the end of the day, even bringing hash rate and whatnot to the U.S. solves twofold problem. One, you bring greater attention and sort of institutional interest and greater acceptance, both culturally and economically, to Bitcoin, pretty simply. I think it just comes down to sort of blatant sort of superficiality, people thinking, a few years ago, oh, you know, it's mainly in China. Why should I trust this? Well, you know, if you bring more of it to the U.S., then people will embrace it. More people will be assimilated and it's going to be something great for Bitcoin in and of itself. And then secondly, what people don't understand yet, at least, you know, we think that we have a novel approach towards it, is that it actually solves the energy security issue for the United States because all of a sudden you have the first true incentive alignment between the profitable consumption of electricity and energy production. If you put yourselves into the shoes of energy producers, you know, if you have a power plant or whatnot, effectively the business model is, can I sell the electricity that I produce for more than my cost of production? It's a very simple business model. Well, now all of a sudden there's a lot of variance, uh, volatility, I mean, in the, in the energy markets. You have a lot of government subsidization going into renewable sectors, sort of creating weird dynamics, a lot of negative energy pricing and so forth. Well, so all of a sudden you can go to energy producers and say, hey, look, if market prices are unattractive for you, now you can actually profitably consume that electricity locally yourself. You consume that for Bitcoin mining and thereby create the optionality for, for energy producers that truly makes a difference in their development costs. Um, so actually... We believe that this significantly lowers development costs across the board, especially in the renewable sector, which probably brings us to our next point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So how does your mining farm leverage renewable energy? What, what types of energy sources do you use? We use a mixture of energy sources, but it's heavily skewed towards wind, actually, because West Texas is in the world, it would be the fifth largest wind producer if it were its own country. And uh, the interesting thing for renewables is you have a lot of variance in production. You have a lot of ups and downs, a lot of cyclicality, right? Wind mainly blows at night. Solar obviously only works if the sun is shining. So what that means is you have a lot of over and under production. 
Now, if you have these Bitcoin batteries like we do, each of these having a power capacity of multiple megawatts, so truly non-trivial in size, you can effectively smoothen the distribution of energy demand for these energy production sites. Because if there's too much production, well, you can take off that electricity and consume it for Bitcoin. And if there's too little production, you can curtail your power and shut off your machines for the time being. And that creates a very interesting dynamic because you effectively say, all right, large scale actual sort of storage batteries, they're, they're a long time away from being economic or even technically feasible, right? It's like decades away. So you invert the problem, right? You say, okay, instead of worrying about the supply of energy, let's worry about the demand of energy. And now you actually have the a true solution to this problem because you create these incentive alignment where you can act to smoothen the demand side distribution of energy production and thereby, again, like I said before, lower the development costs and create a positive feedback loop where more and more renewable energy can be installed because you can finally deal with the intermittency problem. Yeah, so so that's very interesting, right? You are yourself using these liquid cooling technology to put yourself on the you know lowest end of this mining cost curve because of the efficiency that you're you're optimizing from this equipment and at the same time you are helping traditional energy producers to one lower their costs as well and two i guess in some cases and you can correct me if i'm wrong limit the sort of waste of energy that otherwise would exist if there were no one to take it on the other side, right? And in this case, you aren't storing it. You are actually using this to, uh, you know, sort of generate compute power. Is that the idea behind it? Exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple companies in the space that are tackling sort of the excess energy problem, right? Especially in natural gas flaring and whatnot, which I think is objectively interesting. But I think it's not thinking big enough, you know, because you actually, again, have to invert that. A lot of people think, okay, you're going to build power plants and at some point they're going to create excess energy and then we can place containers there and sort of absorb that excess energy. But that's not big enough. What you want to do instead is in future, you know, we think you can actually build energy plants, especially for renewables there where it is cheapest to produce energy. And then mainly those energy plants are effectively big supercomputers that absorb or consume most of the energy that they produce themselves for Bitcoin mining and so forth. And then only intermittently, if they create excess energy beyond that, they can feed that into the market. And that in a systematic algorithmic way can actually act as a smart grid because all of a sudden you have greater predictability in your energy production, you can create a more coherent exhaustive network. And you deal also significantly with the stranded asset problem because of the lack of transmission grid infrastructure, just sort of the point before on government subsidization, it's great for politicians to take a photo in front of a billion dollar wind or solar plant, but it's not great for them to take a picture of a, uh, with them off a $5 billion transmission grid uh, power line. You know, that's not sexy. Nobody likes that. It doesn't make for a good photo op. So effectively, that's a problem because you have a lot of renewables that are now stranded where effectively they cannot actually bring the electricity to the end consumer. You know, we're talking a large scale of that and it's only accelerating. And uh, because of that, now you can actually just leverage those to become supercomputers feeding the 21st century's first type of digital money. And that's truly exciting. So before we move on to the next topic, let's take a quick break and hear a few words about Amber Group. 
This episode of the Crypto Unstacked podcast is presented by Amber Group. Amber Group is a fully integrated crypto finance platform offering a suite of secondary market services across trading, wealth management, and financing solutions. We are backed by some amazing investors such as Paradigm and Pantera and work with clients and partners all over the world. Head on over to ambergroup.io to learn more about us. That's A-M-B-E-R-G-R-O-U-P dot I-O. And now going back to something that you said at the very, very start of our conversation about layer one technology's vision to become a vertically integrated, sustainable Bitcoin mining facility. Could you expand more on what the Bitcoin mining stack looks like and what it means to own your so-called production line to have that supply chain independence, do you really do it on your own or do you have partners that you work with as well to achieve economies of scale here to ultimately play out this vision? I mean, I guess it's a philosophical debate, sort of where the stack starts and ends. I think you can rather sort of give a list and, you know, that sort of is a general spectrum. Anywhere from the ASIC production, the foundry level, the ASIC design company, the factories at which we produce our fully integrated containers, the third-party suppliers from which we source those materials, to the mining software and firmware that we run, to the power infrastructure that we deploy and construct at our mining campus, you know, and the and, and where that come from, and then on top of that, right, so is I guess what goes beyond Bitcoin mining, but truly we think Bitcoin mining is sort of the superset of the Bitcoin infrastructure stack is if you want to proceed with trading, with derivatives, with prime brokerage, with lending, with lightning network, with sort of buying your coffee with Bitcoin and so forth. At the end of the day, what do you call vertically integrated? Does it start with actually having to produce every single element yourself? You know, even all the sort of small materials that you use will probably not, I think for us, we create effectively, in our opinion, the, the iPhone of data center containers for Bitcoin mining. Right? Of course, we have individual components that we have to source elsewhere, but we build these fully integrated containers ourselves at our factories. And uh, there we also install the currently third-party machines. I still think BitCamp, BitMain and stuff, they're, they're excellent suppliers. I think our ambition is to have our own specifically by the end of the year, we will have our own. Uh, we're working with a truly exceptional company called Genic Semiconductor and by with them, with Samsung Foundry to create our own chips. And then effectively, we can truly tailor every single aspect of our containers and of our chips to liquid cooling, overclocking and so forth. Or really the world's your oyster once you can create um, your final form factor machines that aren't dependent upon third-party design, right, if you would purchase and, and use chip, uh, miners from, from Bitmain, Watts Miner, and so forth. And then we sort of expand across that stack. If you go down, right, I think energy side and, and so forth in future, right, if our ideology, and, and it truly is, always will be, is independent as well, um, then you also want to own your own power source and so forth. We're in conversation with uh, some developers around that. I think that could be interesting, although by right, sort of a medium to long-term goal, this isn't something that would be done right now. And as you go up the stack, as you go beyond the thermodynamic process of turning electricity into money, then it depends on, okay, what are you able to do with that money? Because on the mining side, your metric truly is how many Bitcoin do I make per watt of energy that I expend? And then on the layer above, layer two, quote unquote, pun intended, is 
um, the metric, what is the yield per Bitcoin, right? Because effectively your thesis is, okay, I have a lot of Bitcoin. How can I use that to make more of it? And uh, the interesting aspect is, well, if your cost production on the mining side is truly, truly low, you know, I cannot give you specific numbers, but it's a small fraction of what the current price is. You can effectively use that to take a hit on the IRR of your Bitcoin mining company, a mining business, and then subsidize, you know, whatever your intentions of building a marketplace on top are. Right. I don't I don't see any reason why layer one should not be in prime position to build a phenomenal business around trading, settling derivatives around any type of sort of exchange or prime brokerage. What will sort of naturally manifest itself is do we do that in coordination with others as sort of the ultimate liquidity supplier um, to different already existing services? Or do we do that all in house ourselves? You know, that's something that we'll monitor over time and sort of as we perform incremental experimental discovery, we'll see what the best avenue for us is. That's effectively the vision. You know, you, you kind of start occupying a majority of the stack already and then you expand below and above in order to saturate the whole thing. Actually, this plays into a trend really that I'm seeing on the financial services side, which is this gradual shift from pure play platforms, whether you be on the trading side or on the investing side, you know, financing side, to integrated services, right? You see these pure play wallet companies branching out to financing services, you know, offering spot exchange trading venues, you know, things that you didn't think a wallet company would do when they first start out. And so these companies are then wanting to create this holistic ecosystem to serve their users' needs, right? From investing to trading to, to financing to basically say, hey, look, if you come onto our platform uh, and you use our services, we can take care of you the full 360. You don't have to go anywhere else, yeah. right? And I think this just plays into the larger narrative, which is the institutionalization of the crypto markets. And I think, you know, mining is is kind of in the beginning parts of that curve, but it's definitely playing out with more smart money coming in to back mining operations such as yourself to help you scale and get to that vision that you want to go to. So it's just, yeah, this very fascinating trend that I think will just play out more and more as, you know, sophisticated miners, like you say, start to think bigger and start to prove themselves, you know, year after year and to sort of just branch out from the core mining services to other services as well. Exactly. Alex, we're closing in at the half year mark now. What should the crypto community and mining community more specifically look out for from layer one, six to 12 months out? Interesting question. I think a lot of people think too highly of why intercept over slope. Layer one has always been pretty aggressive about what it wants to achieve. And we have total conviction that we will achieve that. And a lot of people in the space think critically of such because they're only really, you know, retrospective in forecasting out of, you know, what's been working in the past about how the future will happen. And people should be scared about the fact that their business is expiring and that there's a new entrant in the industry that is just absolutely going to turn it upside down. You know, at this point, we have multiple megawatts running. You know, it's still orders of magnitude away from the goal that we set ourselves of occupying more than 25% of the Bitcoin hash rate by the end of the year 2021. But it's all about slope, not why I just said. People don't understand that. What people will see is we're effectively compounding and going to grow exponentially over the next few months and the next year and the next one and a half years. I think at the end of the day, 
they will understand that this is just another cycle as in any other industry that it's gone through in terms of increasing the maturity and uh, truly to an extent the globalization of the industry. Layer one is going to do that very simply. Coming in full circle here, you obviously worked with investors before having fundraised from them. Yourself, you've been an investor with Layer One Capital, and you're funded by Peter Thiel, along with others, in the early incubation stage of not having built out Layer One technologies yet. And you know something investors have told me before is that when they're looking to invest, they're looking for a track record of operating experience. What do you think brought Peter Thiel and others over the line to back Layer 1 technologies so early on. So Layer 1 Capital in this case, you mean? Uh, yes, Layer 1 Capital, which then turned into Layer 1 Technologies, exactly. Yeah, obviously, look, I'm, I'm not that old, right? I don't have decades of professional experience. I think what I've demonstrated since I was 19 is an aspiration towards entrepreneurship and trying over and over and over again in order to build something huge and make a difference in the world. You know, truly understanding that reality is just sort of the manifestation of the vision of other people. The universe isn't what really a set of constraints you have to optimize under. You can effectively build when you want to build and sort of reposition the universe around your vision. And I think investors understand that, right? You have to go through different cycles of pain and, and happiness. And You know, not every single venture I tried previously ended in success or ended with no pain or no sort of hardship endured. And I think, you know, eventually you build a portfolio of experiences that is just sufficiently able to guide you and provides operational experience and whatnot, perhaps a lot more than if somebody has decades of experience in a more sort of low variance type of position where curve is a lot smoother, but, you know, you have less edge cases that you have to deal with. And uh, as an entrepreneur, you constantly deal with edge cases. You constantly deal with fires to put out. And the earlier you can have those experiences and the more you can have them in a faster amount of time, the better position you are in order to build an organization that you know eventually then has a shot to, to becoming one of the world's biggest companies. Great. And now I want to move on to the part of our conversation where our listeners can get to know you, Alex Legal, a bit more. So what important truth about the crypto space or mining more specifically do you believe in that few might agree with you on? Bitcoin mining? turns electricity into money. That's all it is. That's all it ever will be. And I think not enough people think simplistically enough about what the key objective behind the industry and the business is. As always, I'd like to end our time together with a round of rapid fire, this time mining edition. I'm going to start off by asking you whether you're bullish or bearish on a few topics, and you can expand if you wish, um, but we'll start easy. Mm -hmm. So Bitcoin, bullish or bearish? Bullish, of course. Growth of mining outside of China over this next year, bullish or bearish? Bullish, because of layer one. <laughs> uh, the hash rate market, bullish or bearish? Neutral. What is a myth about Bitcoin mining that you want to debunk for us on the show? That the more electricity is consumed by Bitcoin mining is a bad thing. People, I really encourage, should look into what Gemin's paradox is and how it would, in the case of Bitcoin mining, also create positive feedback loops. And what is a development within the mining industry that has surprised you over this past year? That development cycles on process node sides are only taking this long as of now with 10 nanometers and 7 nanometers. And the problems third-party manufacturers are experiencing just because of the small size at which we're dealing with and then how much longer development cycles for future node generations are going to be. 
Mm-hmm. And what excites you going forward about the crypto mining industry? Layer one. <laughs> <laughs> Has to be. That's the only thing we ever think about. You know, you measure the inputs, the outputs take care of themselves. Right. And Alex, how can our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about Layer One Technologies? I encourage to reach out via Twitter. Um, you know, I'm on Twitter every once in a while. Alexander Legal is my handle. Otherwise, contact at layer1.com. We're always looking for brilliant, hardworking, autodidactic people. Right. Keep in mind, this industry is everybody self-taught. There isn't a PhD in Bitcoin or in Bitcoin mining. So um, you need self-starting people that truly have the motivation to make a difference in the universe. Great. Well, Alex, appreciate you coming on the Crypto Unstacked podcast this week. Thanks so much for the inside scoop on what you guys are building over at Layer One and hope to catch up with you again soon. Thanks, Leslie. This was great. As always, hope you enjoyed this week's Cup of Crypto. If you like what you heard, please share and subscribe on Spotify and anchor.fm slash crypto unstacked. Do engage with us through social media. I'll provide details in the show notes and connect with me on Twitter at Les Lambo. That's L-E-S-L-A-M-B-0. Would love to chat with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care and see you at our next episode.